Thank you. So we're going to move on beyond archaeology to a much earlier era, and I'd like to talk to you about cosmology, or how the whole universe got to be the way it is. I want to start and um, tell you a bit about our, our knowledge of cosmology. I want to start in about 1920 with Hubble using the then largest telescope in the world, the 100-inch, in order to uh, measure for the same galaxies the recession, the velocity that they're moving either away from us or toward us and the distance. Now, you move, measure the velocity in about the same way that a police radar unit measures the velocity or the, the same way that you might deduce the velocity of a train if all trains had a constant whistle frequency by listening to this change in the pitch with velocity. When Hubble looked at distant galaxies, ones that are very far away from us, the thing that he found that was most striking was that they're all moving away from us. It's not as though we all smell bad or something, but there they were all moving away from us. And furthermore, the ones that are farthest away from us are moving the fastest. The ones that are nearby are moving more slowly. Well, this is clearly the picture of an expansion, uh, of sort of explosion, uh, which led to the Big Bang theory of the universe. If you, uh, if you think about this expansion and reverse it, then maybe sometime in the past, everything was very close together, and it was an expansion from there that led to the current expanding universe. So that was the beginning of the Big Bang theory. There was yet another theory at the time, uh, somewhat later, of um, constant creation of matter to fill in the spaces, but since that's now out of fashion, I won't spend a whole lot of time talking about that. I would like to skip then to my own career. As a graduate student at Caltech, uh, I went there in the physics department and uh, was a physicist who enjoyed instrumentation. And I discovered a new radio astronomy group there. Radio astronomy was a fairly young science at the time. Uh, there were only a few such installations in the world, and I joined them to, uh, to learn about radio astronomy and start my career. You might ask, what is radio astronomy? Uh, radio astronomers measure radiation coming from other parts of the universe, but instead of looking at light, they look at radio waves from these other places. And since radio waves are, the photons of radio waves are much lower energy, it's possible to look at different kinds of objects. The lights up there which are, are, are making light for us are at several thousand degrees in temperature. If you cool them below a thousand degrees, you won't see any light. And yet everything in this room is emitting radio waves. So even things that are very much colder than this room can be studied by radio astronomer, a radio astronomer, but would be invisible to an optical astronomer. Well, that's part of the problem of a radio astronomer. An optical astronomer works at night so that the light from the sun doesn't blind his telescope, fog his film. Uh, a radio astronomer can't do that because everything around him is emitting, even his own radio telescope. So what you normally do is look at an object you're interested in and compare it to the, what you see looking nearby it. You might make a series of comparisons on the object, off the object, on the object, off, taking the differences. 
in the hopes that everything on the earth would stay the same when you're doing that and uh, only the object would change. Well, I measured our own galaxy, the Milky Way. I did this by turning the radio telescope to the west of where the Milky Way was, letting the rotation of the Earth scan the radio telescope and all past the Milky Way, and I saw what the received intensity did. This was a good way of doing that measurement, but it was unsatisfying. We live in the middle of the Milky Way. Well, not in the middle, but we live within it. And no matter where I pointed the telescope, I would be seeing something from the Milky Way. So I was lucky that the plane of the Milky Way is very flat, very thin compared to how big it is. So when I look away from it, I see very much less than when I look on it. But still, the measurement wasn't quite right. And so after my thesis was done, I finished up at Caltech. I took a job at Bell Laboratories where there was an antenna which had the capability of looking past everything on the Earth and seeing almost entirely signals coming from out away from the Earth. Arno Penzias and I took the 20-foot horn reflector antenna and put a receiver on it with calibration so that we could measure the absolute brightness of what was up there. And we did one thing which, in retrospect, was very clever. We inherited the, the telescope with a receiver on it, which was not at the frequency we wanted to work because we didn't think we'd see anything from the galaxy. But, but we decided to go ahead anyway and make what the biologists would call a control experiment. We would measure without the effect we wanted to measure and see if our receiver worked. Well, to make a long story short, the receiver never worked in that sense. We found that wherever we looked, we saw an additional uh, brightness from the universe that was not expected. The, uh, the explanation of that uh, comes back to the Big Bang Theory. And let me uh, go quickly through the evolution of the universe starting at a time a few minutes after the beginning of the Big Bang. Uh, at that time, the temperature of the universe would have been about a billion degrees. That's something which is incredibly different from anything that we're used to. If you take the density of radiation and convert that to uh, a density by using Einstein's equations, E equals mc squared, the density of the radiation itself is about the equivalent of a heavy metal like brass. Uh, and the radiation was by far the dominant part of the universe. As the universe expanded, the radiation cooled. Still, for a long time, the matter wasn't important. It was all the radiation. After almost 100 million years, though, the universe cooled off to a temperature that we can start to think about, about the temperature of these light bulbs, 3,000 degrees. At that point, the electrons and protons could get together and form a hydrogen atom. In the earlier stages, the only material which survived that very hot stage was hydrogen and helium nuclei, a few uh, other very small nuclei in very small quantities. But the, the universe was then, after the combination, when it cooled off, entirely hydrogen and helium, uh, with minor exceptions. At that point, the, uh, when the electrons and protons got together to form neutral atoms, 
the universe suddenly became very transparent. Before, every time a photon would come near a charged particle, it would be scattered. Suddenly, there were no more charged particles, and the photons were turned loose. If you walk outside now, some of what hits you on the head will be the photons that last met matter at that ver very early stage. It was detecting these same photons with our sensitive radio telescope that is indeed the most, um, the most certain way we have of saying that we live in a Big Bang universe as opposed to some modification of an expanding universe. So going from that time forward, uh, we see that a very homogeneous universe, because we can see no variations, even with the most sensitive instruments from different directions that are attributed to changes in the universe, to what we see now when we look out. You see stars nearby, you see galaxies, clusters of galaxies, and great holes in between. So something happened between that early stage where the universe was, uh, was a very uniform and the current stage where it, was, it is broken up into uh, very compact material objects. That is a current topic that's very important in astronomy. Another thing that happened is that heavy elements were formed. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. All of the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, anything else you see around you in the room except for hydrogen in, your, in the water was made in some star before the solar system formed. So there had to be a first generation of stars, a differentiation of matter into uh, galaxies and stars, and then the formation of the solar system, and now here we are. The universe is still expanding. What's going to happen in the future? If you look out there and add up the matter that an astronomer can see, it's very clear. The expansion is going to go on forever. If you, um, if you make some corrections, there's a little more matter, but the expansion is still going to go on forever. If you ask the physicists what's going to happen, then the expansion will probably go on forever, but it will asymptotically stop because that is the most symmetric thing that might happen in, in theories. And maybe there is yet some matter that we don't understand out there, the so-called dark matter. If you read on the subject, you will hear that people in physics are now investigating the possible properties of dark matter. So next time you go outside, think about a very insignificant uh, group of photons that are hitting you on the head. You'll never notice them. They're very low energy. It takes a very, uh, a very sensitive receiver to notice that they're there. But they will hit you every time you go outside, and they're left over from when the, when the universe was only about a million years old as opposed to the present something like 15 billion years. Thank you.